Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Cap City Church. I'm going to invite you to stand at this time, and we're just going to worship together this morning.
the peace the storms surrounding me let it break at your name still call the seed is still the rage of me to still let it break at your name Jesus Jesus
between our God and the idols that are man-made. They worshipped idols that they made that had eyes and ears and mouths and noses and looked like images. The Word of God is eternal, though, so it's still going to have application today. Even if we don't have idols in our house, there's things that we lift our praise and our energy to, things that we invest in that aren't of God. And in the 115th Psalm, David says, not to us, not to us, but to you, O God, do we give glory. Because of your mercy and because of your truth. The nations will say, where is our God? Because you can't see or touch our God in the physical sense. But instead, we receive the gifts of mercy and truth from our God. Says they make their, their idols out of silver and gold, and they give them ears, but their ears cannot hear. They, they mold noses, but they cannot smell. They give them mouths, but they cannot talk. And rather than reciting the whole chapter to you, I'll just say David kind of sums it up and says, because they're dead. They're not alive. The things of this world, the things that the world has to offer us, has no value. But David says, because of your mercy and truth, we will give you glory. And he wraps up the chapter by saying, they are all dead, and the dead do not praise the Lord. Because the dead say nothing. He said, so we will praise your name forever and ever. Listen, church, we'll, we'll kind of fill you in a little bit later. But we've lost a few people that are dear to this congregation over the last week. And when we get to the end of this life, we want it to be said of us that we were lifting our praise, our energy, our resources, our focus, and our attention to the things of God and not to the things of this world. We're going to open the altars for prayer this morning. We're going to invite a couple pastors to come and help us pray. Pastor Ed's going to be over here. We've had a couple requests to be anointed. He'll, he'll be there to do that for you. But this next song we're going to sing is Run to the Father. Sometimes I think we're running from him. Maybe we're hiding from him. But certainly we're not running to him enough in the sense that he has mercy and truth to offer us. He has rest for us when we're weary. Yet we seem to refuse it and tend to just continue on our way about our business until our agenda becomes, well, even replaces his. Father, we thank you this morning that we know that we can run to you. 
Lord, I pray that there would be individuals here this morning that would see an open altar as an invitation to just come and talk to Jesus, to know that you're there with your arms wide open, that you're ready to receive our praise, that you're ready to distribute mercy and truth to those who would receive it. Lord, we pray that there would be healing in this place today. God, that there would be healing in the places that people are, are in today that couldn't be here with us because of the, the things that are ailing them, because of the reasons that they're in the hospital. Lord, we lift up our request to you this morning, believing that you're a God that heals and you're a God that saves. Help us to honor you as we continue to worship in Jesus' name. Amen.
Well, church, I, uh, I don't mind letting you know that this series, uh, the preparation for these sermons has been incredibly challenging for me. We've just kind of started with this little idea of what would Jesus do that was on a bracelet that a bunch of kids started wearing 20 or 30 years ago. And uh, with each idea that I felt led to present to you, I begin to just study Jesus. I, that's a crazy thought, right? That you'd read the Bible and study Jesus and think about what it means to study Jesus. But it's really wrecked me because we're way off. Is that okay? We're way off. I, I'm sorry. I'm way off. You may not be. I shouldn't indict you like that. Um, he was some kind of guy. When he walked this earth, obviously he's our Lord and Savior. I don't mean to be diminutive towards um, Jesus Christ. I just mean when we see the way that he behaved on earth, it's mind blowing. It's it's it it really is supernatural, and by that I mean it takes the indwelling of the Holy Spirit to overcome all the shortcomings in our humanity to to carry the great responsibility of showing the character of Christ when we're walking um, and talking and going about our business. And so this week, um, we're talking about, last week we said, what would Jesus do? He said he'd love children. And I saw somebody this week not loving children in a public place. <laughs> I almost preached at him. I did. I was like, nah, it's probably not going to help anything. Nobody's getting hurt. It wasn't the best situation in my opinion, but I kind of left it alone. Wasn't here at church, don't worry. Um, and, but this week, we're, when we pose the question, what would Jesus do, our answer this week is he would love sinners. Jesus would love sinners. Jesus was accused in the New Testament of being a friend of sinners. That was the word on the street in first century Palestine. The, the precise phrase, friend of sinners, is mentioned twice in the Gospels. The naysayers of the day, the religious aristocrats criticized Jesus as a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Now, 
if Jesus was identified that way, I wonder if maybe we should be, right? I, I, I know this, uh, you're going to hear me act like we're, we're dealing with elementary ideas, but church, I just, as I see where we're headed in North America these days, I just feel like some of these things are worth re-examining. And when I saw this, when I, when I wrote this, as, as the Lord brought that, brought that phrase to my mind, the naysayers of the day, the religious aristocrats, criticized Jesus as a glutton and a drunkard a friend, and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And when I thought about what kind of people might call someone else a glutton or a drunk or a friend of sinners, it would probably be church people. They called Jesus that because it was true. Jesus wasn't upset that they were calling this. He was glad that they saw and were able to identify what it was that he was doing. He was a friend of sinners. Jesus himself said that he didn't come for the spiritually healthy, but for the sick. He said, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Last week we talked about Jesus' love for children. And just like he greeted children that others thought were a nuisance, he welcomed sinners that others did not. He looked at them and he loved them. He had compassion on them. And most glorious of all, he wielded his authority to speak those wondrous words, your sins are forgiven. I wonder how much as a church, now when I say church, right, we're not talking about a building, we're not talking about Cap City, we're not talking about 3CU. We as individuals are members of the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, the church. I wonder how often the church is forgiving the sins of other people. I'm not talking about the stuff that they do that you're just saying, it's okay that you do that. I'm talking about the things that people do to you. To you, because that's when we get our justice card out. That's when God is a God of justice and vengeance, is it not? That's when we find that text where David said, you know, God will have vengeance on my enemies. This week, I want us to wrestle with a few questions that might help us shape our current understanding of who the sinner is, where they are, and how we should be intentional about learning to love them. And, and for a story that we're going to attach to this message from Scripture, we're going to look at Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19 and the story of Zacchaeus. Well, what do we know about Zacchaeus? We know he was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. Isn't that right? And uh, wherever he's hanging out, there are sycamore trees. So um, let's read the first, first uh, 10 verses of Luke 19. Jesus went, in, went to Jericho and was passing through. And there was a man called by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and he was rich. Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was and he was unable due to the crowd because he was short in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up a sycamore tree in order to see him. That one line, right, what we've read so far, church, I have a whole other sermon I could preach to you one day about how a rich, sophisticated individual couldn't find anybody to tell him about Jesus, so he had to go climb a tree like a little child. Can you imagine an adult climbing a tree? I mean, when, I don't know, maybe some of you are more adventurous than I, uh, than I am, but I don't remember the last time I saw an adult climbing a tree. I mean, I've had to shimmy up one a little bit to, because Wesley got higher than he thought maybe he should, but not full-on climb. I want you to picture this for a minute. We say, we little man, we act like he was 14. He was rich. He was a chief. 
he had worked his way up the corporate ladder. This was a full-grown man. This was all of you climbing a tree because they wanted something they didn't have. And nobody would tell them about it. So he ran on ahead and he climbed up a sycamore tree in order to see him because he was about to pass through that way. And when Jesus came to that place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, you're a dirty, rotten, filthy scoundrel. Zacchaeus, we're having church on Sunday morning. You should come. Zacchaeus, we can get you help for the problems that you have if you would come to these groups. Nope. Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for today I must stay at your house. And he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. When the people saw this, they all began to complain, saying, He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. As I preach, I, I, I'll assure you that you're all much better people than those people were in that day. Don't, don't worry, I'll, I'll get, you, get you there. But Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I am giving to the poor. If you, need, if you want a biblical, somebody said one time, New Testament, uh, in the New Testament, there's no um, biblical basis for tithing 10%. That's right, Zacchaeus gave 50. Anybody? No. Zacchaeus said, hang on, Jesus, I'm going to give half away uh, of everything that I have away to the poor. And if I have extorted or taken anything from anyone, I'm giving back four times as much and Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because he too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man has come to seek and save that which was lost. Now, I don't know about all of you evangelicals. I'm one of you. But I'm a little confused. Zacchaeus didn't follow the Romans' road. Zacchaeus didn't confess any sin. What did, he didn't do this. Like he didn't say the sinner's prayer of repentance. He didn't come to the church. It doesn't talk about his baptism. It doesn't talk about his church membership. He said, I don't treat other people right. And I'm going to start doing that. And Jesus goes, yeah, there's the good stuff. There's the good stuff. He wasn't worried about how we recorded the fact that he was converted on Sunday morning. He wasn't worried about his Sunday school attendance. He was worried about the fact that he knew something had changed inside of Zacchaeus' heart. There was a heart change that day. So here's some questions we're going to wrestle with a little bit this morning. Who is a sinner? Now, the best way to reach someone for Christ is to tell them that they are a sinner, right? No, no. I mean, that should really open some doors for you. If, if you just get the conversation rolling, rolling, maybe you could try something like, hey, I heard you swearing at your kids in the grocery store, and I realized you probably don't love Jesus. And I thought you might want to know about him. Something says their language isn't going to change, but their target might. <laughs> Over the years, many of us have quietly or maybe openly kept a list of things that Christians should or should not do. If you want to read the later parts of Matthew, Jesus has a, has a whole chapter where he says, Woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, and hypocrites. And he talks about people who make sure they do the list of things that are on the acceptable list. But behind closed doors, they're just as dirty and nasty as everybody else. 
Church, I'm afraid even today we've become experts at keeping up appearances in front of others while certain spiritual issues like pride and anger and bitterness and unforgiveness have still remained under the surface for all of us. For the sake of today's message, let's establish a few basic, uh, basics about, basic ideas about the identity of a sinner. If you will, be careful sometimes. We get caught on phrases. I've done this too. I grew up in a pastor's home. I went to revivals more than I went to school. We can get hung up on phrases that aren't necessarily bad or wrong, but we need to make sure we're using them in the right context. If you don't pick this up, I want to train you to go reach other people for Jesus Christ. I'm not trying to preach the, the number one sermon on Rathmel Road this morning or anything like that. Uh, I'm just a sinner saved by grace, right? We've all heard that one. No, you were a sinner saved by grace, okay? That's an important distinction. We don't keep walking around as though we remain in sin, right? When Jesus got the rocks away from the adulterous woman, he said, go and sin no more. In a place where we've probably leaned a little bit, over, like we're probably tipping the scales where we're preaching maybe a little bit more about grace than sin than we should in North America, we need to remember that we are supposed to go and sin no more. And so when we've come into an experience with Jesus Christ and been filled with the Holy Spirit, we shouldn't be walking around labeling ourselves a sinner. There's a theological conversation we could get into that we're not going to this morning. It doesn't mean that you're incapable of sinning, but you certainly shouldn't still be identified as a sinner. A few basics about the identity of a sinner. Scripture makes it clear that we are all born into sin. And all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The only thing that makes a Christian different than a sinner is an acceptance of the grace of God. Yeah. Thief on the cross, right? Don't, we can't talk about his works. We can't talk about his giving. We can't talk about his church attendance. He accepted Jesus Christ. A sinner isn't exclusive to the group of individuals that participate in the activities that displease you the most. You have a group that says, surely they've got to be worse. There's got to be a special place in hell for people to do this or do that or wear this or look like that, right? Ah, we all do. It, it, seriously, I think we really, I really not, like, this isn't in jest. I think we all do, and I really think it's a place where God wants to grow us, and we need to continue to pray and allow God to take down those stereotypical ideas of sin that we've allowed maybe to seep in through tradition or through the media or through maybe whatever denomination we've grown up in. The term sinner is not a status that should be used for someone who commits certain acts as to belittle or judge them for a mistake or shortcoming in their character. But instead, it should be understood as someone who has not accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. To expound on this a little bit more, here in a second, we'll wrestle with the question, where are sinners? Where are they? Jonathan Edwards, it was said that Jonathan Edwards, when he would preach a message on hell, that he could never get through it without breaking down and, and weeping because he, because he began to understand the extreme reality of what it was, and he didn't want to see anybody go there. If you're labeling someone in your righteousness, if you're labeling someone a sinner, tears shouldn't be that far behind. If judgment and condemnation are there, you misunderstand your mission, you understand to what you were saved to, and you misunderstand what it is that's going to take place in their life if they don't come to salvation. So where are sinners? Where are they? 
most of us probably don't struggle with figuring this out, but sometimes I think ideas like feeding the homeless or mission trips, while they're still very important, are easier to participate in than the idea of consistently and intentionally having neighbors that don't know Christ over to our house for dinner. Can you imagine if you had the family over that bullies your children, not to passively, aggressively bring up the issue, but instead just to love on them? Here's a thought I had this week. Uh, as three different times I saw someone get slow service while getting fast food. Yes, I got fast food three times this week. Well, one time it was ice cream, and so I feel like that should be more acceptable. Uh, but three different times I saw people who got slow service react in such a poor manner that other customers were apologizing to the employees that had to put up with it. I also watched somebody the Christian t-shirt speak negatively about the person that was angry. Man, church, we've got to get off our high horse. Please don't, please, 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 please don't do that. We're in a Cap City. If you want to wear another church's t-shirt, that's fine. But if you have your Cap City t-shirt on, Three different times I saw people who got slow service react in a poor manner and the other customers were apologizing. And sadly enough, those three individuals might be working in children's church somewhere this morning or singing on a worship team. But watching those incidents reminded me that, Christian, it doesn't matter if we think we have the right to be upset or if we think our poor attitude is justified, you can always find a justification for your poor attitude. You can always come up with a reason why you think it's okay that you're acting upset or angry. The only reason selfishness and pride, by the way. When you received Jesus, you were immediately given a mission. We have context for that. Remember when he cast the demons out of the, out of the maniac and the guy wanted to come with Jesus? He said, sorry, buddy, I didn't do this so you could come join my club. He said, I did this because I knew I was going to send you back home, and they were going to see such a change in you that they knew that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. He put him on mission. As soon as he received his salvation, he was put on mission. And that mission was to be living out the character of Jesus in a way that would attract others to have the relationship that we've entered into. Sinners are certainly in some places that we would consider it better if we did not visit. I'm not, I, you, can't, you don't need to tell your wife that you need to go to the bar at 3 a.m. on Friday night because the pastor said you needed to go find the sinners. You're, you misheard me. But they are at your work, and they live on your street, and they go to your school, and they work where you shop. Once we establish where sinners are, the next question I would pose to you is, where are you? Where are you? Many of our schedules are, are fairly consistent. You go to a job where you have little control about where you spend who you spend time around, you spend time at church, you spend time at home with your family, but we all have time in our schedule, free time if you will, where we choose where we spend that time or who we spend that time with. There's a statistic that was put out that said when a person becomes a Christian, that each year the frequency of, of times or, or number of times that they have sinners in their home diminishes by 10% every year. 
So let's say before I get saved, I have sinners over to my house ten times a year. Year two, I would have them over nine times. Year three, eight. Until ultimately, the average Christian, after ten years of being saved, is no longer entertaining non-Christians in their home. Just maybe do the math on that one for me real quick. How many non-Christians have you entertained in your home this year? Now, somebody goes, well, we just don't have people over that much. Well, you're just missing the mark altogether because Jesus said you're supposed to just be people of hospitality. Even if it's uncomfortable for you, even if it's inconvenient, the gospel is going to inconvenience you a little bit. But I'm serious. We're in September. Just go back to January. See if you can. I'm not talking about your crazy brother-in-law that you have to have over because it's Thanksgiving. I'm not talking about your aunt that, you know, right, thinks there's going to complain about your house and comment on a bunch of things. I'm talking about intentional. I'm talking about intentionality in saying there are people who my heart are broken for because they're my neighbors and I see they have all this money and all these things and they still seem to be unhappy and searching for something and I'll bet we could become their friends and we could be light and salt and we could share the gospel message of Jesus Christ and it's probably something that they would want. They would probably climb up a sycamore tree to find it today. The truth is that too many of us are uncomfortable around sinners. But if you are, it is because you have a misunderstanding of the purpose of your salvation and mission. Church, I really do believe that we have given far, far too many excuses and permission to people that say stuff like, well, I'm an introvert. Or I don't know how to talk to people. Or I don't know how to share my faith. Or I try to and it just doesn't seem to work. You were saved to proclaim the truth of the gospel message to a lost and dying world. Dr. James Kennedy said that someone who never shares, a, shares the faith that they have has no faith at all. We could get into a faith works discussion there that we see between Paul and James in the New Testament. But the reality of it is Dr. Kennedy was trying to make the point that if you have a real faith, you will not be able to help it. You will not be able to conceal it. You will have to tell other people about it. And if you're struggling today to tell other people about it, you're probably not experiencing the Jesus that I am. You're not experiencing the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. We even say stuff like, we don't want to be pushy with the gospel. We don't want to be pushy with the gospel. You... Maybe you've all said it sometime. I don't know who you, I, I don't know you. A few years from now, I won't say it because I will have heard some of you say it. I won't want to make you feel bad, but we don't want to be pushy with the gospel. I have found that most people that make such a comment are afraid that a non-Christian might ask them a question about Jesus or the Bible that they don't know how to answer. So rather than qualifying and equipping ourselves to the point that we can answer the questions, we've learned to come up with ideas like not wanting to be pushy. I worked in sales. They say I had a salesman's gene in my, in my body, in my bloodline or something. Said my grandpa could sell whatever that, you know, those ketchup popsicles to a woman wearing white gloves or something like that. I, iced uh, Eskimos. If you've ever sold anything before, if you've ever worked in sales, you've worked for a company, and they've handed you something and said, you need to sell this to everybody, and you go, this isn't very good. <laughs> I'm going to have to really work. 
But I worked in sales for a long time, and every once in a while, our company would come, and they'd have this product, and it was just awesome. And they'd say, hey, we want you to sell this today, and we've got a great price on it. And I looked at it, oh my goodness, that is a great price. And I said, I'm going to be able to sell this on every phone call. And before I got off the phone, on every phone call, I offered it to them. And on every phone call, I sold it to them. Because like, wow, that's a great deal. Can you imagine if you went up to a sinner, and instead of saying, hey, you know, you really need to clean up your life, or I'm really tired of you talking the way that you did, or I'm really tired of having to cover for you because you call off because you got hammered last night. What if you went up to that person and said, man, I just can't believe what God's doing in our life right now. People are asking me how I like my new church, like people from around here. And some of them have a church. I, I don't know. I don't, if people want to stop going to their church, come to ours. I really don't. It doesn't bother me too much. Some people are like, well, they need to stay where they are. Like, eh. <laughs> if they really want to come check us out, I think we got a good thing to offer here. People ask me how I like my new church. Oh, man, it is awesome. It is awesome. These people love each other, and there's a spirit of worship, and there's a spirit of prayer. Some of you go, somebody asks you where you're going to go to Cap City Church. Where's that? Uh, it's like on the south end. I give, people, I give people exact directions every single time they ask me where my church is. If I'm talking to another pastor, I go, well, you take 270 to 23. And by the way, if you don't know this, 270 touches 23 on the north outer belt too, right? So I say 270 to 23 on the south end, and then you go south one light, and you go, and then you go, uh, it depends on, like some people understand east, west, some need left, right? Then you turn left, and, oh, where the BP, yeah, exactly, where the BP is, you turn left there, where the first property on left, can't miss us. Man, why do you want to tell me so much about his church? There must be something good going on there. I've heard people tell other people about their church before. Not you guys, other churches. I've heard people tell other people about their churches before. Oh, I've been going there for 35 years, and the 15 of us that are still left, we're going to keep it open until we die. Sign me up. <laughs> we're going to finish strong, like you're going to finish dead. <laughs> Christians, Christians, we spend so much time hanging out with each other instead of sinners that we're, even, make, we're even, even able to make each other feel good about the fact that we're doing it because we can label our time together as ministry. Man, that's an ouch, isn't it? That one hit me right in the face. Well, I, I, I spent time in ministry today. You know what? Every once in a while, things are kind of busy here at the church, or in, in past, not just here, but I've pastored before, and I've got to the end of three or four weeks go, man, we've had a lot of great stuff going on in church, and Jesus will just go, yeah, what sinners did you witness to this month? Man, every time he gets me. My neighbor's sitting across the street doing nothing, trying to find out what they're going to spend their money on next. And I'm hanging out with all of you. I like y'all. You're fun. It's more fun. It's easier. We don't have to have those awkward moments where they do something that's unchristian around us. And while fellowship and shepherding and loving one another are important ideas, I just wonder what it would take for us to see that there's a good chance that Jesus would have missed the church potluck to invite his neighbors over to dinner. Ultimately, the answer to the question, where are you in respect to sinners? Most of us are where they are not. Most of us are where they are not. So then, how do we come together, right? If a, if a pastor poses a problem in a sermon, he should definitely give you a solution. And let me start off with an easy one for you. I've always liked to tell the staff that I've led in church that you should do something you love around the community that you live in. 
like play golf. That's, that's important. You got to play golf. But if you don't like golf, you could, I, I'm sorry, I'm going to give you a list. You can laugh at it or say, man, I don't, you could join a bowling league. I wouldn't join a bowling league, but maybe you would join a bowling league. You could go to car shows. When we were at the car show the other day, I thought, hey, there are people at car shows that need Jesus, and you could talk to them about their cars, and you could tell them how much you like your car and what you've done. You could sing karaoke. Not around me, please, but you could sing karaoke somewhere. I don't know where you would do that. You would probably Google it. It's a big, did you know it's a big thing now to go play board games somewhere? There's coffee shops in different places where people are getting together for game nights and playing board games together. And that might be something you love and passion about. You could go line dancing. Well, that, could you go line dancing? I don't know. I know that's a Wesleyan thing. Well, I, you don't have to announce it to anybody. But I, Church, I know what the manual says, but Jesus would have went line dancing. He would have. They danced at Jewish weddings. I know that's hard for some of us to believe, but they were there, and they were dancing, and they were partying, and they were having a good time. And then Jesus sat down at a table with one of them in the corner somewhere and shared the gospel with them. I'm sure of it. He did. Church, every once in a while I see these pictures, church pictures. Maybe they're historical pictures from 50 or 60 or 70 years ago that we used to take on homecoming. And every once in a while I see a church picture and I have to laugh because nobody in the, in the picture is smiling. <laughs> Hang that one on the wall. We want to know why. We want to make sure people know that we're suffering over here. And I think we went through phases in, our, in Christianity where we wanted to make sure that people knew that we were suffering. Jesus didn't let people know he was suffering when he was suffering. Real suffering, right? He was still preaching. He was still sharing the gospel message. I mean, I don't think we understand. I mean, I, I don't know how we could relate to it. By the time he had been on the cross, we could probably like relate that to him being shot 75 or 100 times with a gun. Basically waiting for somebody to declare him dead. And, somebody, and these guys are fighting and yelling and, and screaming and people are cussing at him. And Jesus looks over and goes, hey, you want to be in heaven with me tonight? If Jesus had the ability to crack a grin when he said it, I'll bet he did. Still sharing love, still sharing joy, still sharing hope, still sharing peace amidst the suffering and the trials. But anyway, go do something in the community you live in. Have fun. Be happy. Be kind. Be awesome at it. Christians should be doing something passionately in front of the world so that the world can see your passion and then question where that kind of joy and passion comes from. And then you can give them a reason for the hope that is in you. I love it. I have people in my life that say this to me. And, and you can do what you want with it. Maybe I fake it sometimes. I don't know. But I like to be happy. I know some of you like to soak in sour. But that's not my thing. I like to be happy. I struggle. I get discouraged sometimes. Sometimes I get tired. But generally speaking, I really like to be happy. Do you like to be like? Is that okay? Like, do you like to be happy? Worship... People on the worship stage warming up on Sunday mornings, not here, but throughout the years, have had to watch me as they warmed up, watch me go, I feel like a dork doing this right now, but, right, you can't help but not smile back at me because I look so dorky doing it. Be happy, Christians. I've had people over the years say, Jonathan, how are you so happy all the time? Well, I'm glad that you asked. 
Jesus. Oh, he's a pastor. No, I'm a bunch of other things too. I'm not just a pastor. Yeah, that's, I preached to you on Sunday morning. I want to help take care of this church. But there's a lot of other things I can be in front of people and just be a Christian while I'm doing it. Let's reference our text here for just a minute this morning. I, had a, I heard a pastor talk about Zacchaeus a few weeks ago, and he told the story, and it caught my attention in a new way. We like to, we like to talk about Zacchaeus being short. We, we know that he's a tax collector. We know that he believed in Jesus, but when I heard this story told again a couple weeks ago, two things st- stood out to me. Number one, Jesus went to Zacchaeus' house. Number two, he went that day. Jesus went to where he was, and he didn't wait for or insist that Zacchaeus made their meeting place acceptable. He didn't ask Zacchaeus if he would change his clothes. He didn't ask Zacchaeus if he would clean up certain sinful items in his house that didn't belong there. He didn't ask Zacchaeus, well, who else is coming? Who else is coming? This is a great one I've loved to hear over the year. Uh, well, hey, we're gonna have, you want to come over and watch the football game? Yeah, sure. Anybody else coming? Like, you got to check in to make sure that the company's acceptable. Oh, you've done it before. You didn't ask directly. You did it in backwards way. You sent him a text or something else, but... He just went. He just went. But Pastor Jonathan, what if it interferes with my schedule? I remember sitting with an older, wiser pastor about eight years ago. I say that, but eight years ago, I was much older and wiser than him. Does that make sense to everybody? And we were talking about the pastoral ministry, and he made a comment to me. Uh, we, him and I were going to set up another meeting, and I went to put it um, in my Google Calendar on my phone. And he said, nothing will interfere with your ministry more than that app. And I said, oh, I make time for it. He goes, nothing will interfere with your ministry more than that app. It's okay to make plans. It's good to be organized. I wish some of you would do a better job at looking at a calendar. Is that okay? I don't know who you are, but some of y'all need to learn how to look at a calendar and schedule things, not leave the pastor hanging when you make a meeting with him. None of you have done that yet, so it's proactive. But I wonder sometimes how when something, when someone needs us, when ministry calls in a moment, when the Holy Spirit leads, how many times our schedule, our agenda, that's a better word, isn't it? Our agenda gets in the way of ministering to other people. It might interfere with my schedule. What if I don't like what he serves at dinner? You're all, come on. Some of you know, I I made it clear to you, and I'm just, you're just being, you're just being mean if you have me over to the house for dinner and you serve green beans. I've told you I don't like them. And that's all good and well, but if someone that didn't know Christ invited me over to their house and they served green beans, I would choke down every single last one of them because I would want them to know that I appreciate their hospitality and the way that they're loving on me. What if there are people there that make me uncomfortable? To all that, I would say that that probably means you're in the right place. When was the last time you inconvenienced yourself for the gospel? 
When was the last time you were uncomfortable for the sake of the gospel? Jesus said, I'm coming to your house. We need to be where they are comfortable. We do just about the opposite. We meet a sinner, insist that they need to come to our church, which most of the time we have built and designed for our comfort. Church, I know sometimes we get exhausted with the conversations about needing to be more seeker-friendly with worship and design or a contemporary feel. But the truth of the matter is, most new people that attend a church should be overwhelmed with people in the church that are reaching out to them. But many of you have sat in the same churches for months or years or even decades with people you haven't even introduced yourself to. That's, I had a pastor that used to say you could either say ouch or you could say amen. But I've talked to some of you that have been in this church for years and said, hey, who's that? And I know that that person's been in the church for years. I'm not sure. Hey, when we're a church of a thousand, you say that all you want. But in a, in a room this size, we should be getting to know one another. Well, I don't know, pastor. They're not, they're not another board member. I don't know, pastor. I don't know what they're going to be able to offer my family. Just go be together. Make sure you know their story. Maybe if you know their story, you can connect them with other people that come in that are struggling with the same type of thing. We let people, we let people, we let people come to our church. And then after a while, if they adapt to us, we might get to know them as part of the club. We might get to know them as part of the club. If they like the same things that we do about the church. Jesus adapted to Zacchaeus. Jesus adapted to Zacchaeus. Jesus said, I'll work around you first. Then I believe my grace and hospitality will cause a change in you. Allison has to do these staff meetings with me. By that, I mean her and me talking. She has to listen to whatever I say about the church because she's a good wife. Allison was with me. I, the one place that we were eating, it was Piata. So I don't know if you count that as fast food or not. If you haven't been to Piata, they serve it pretty fast. But, you know, it's one of those restaurants where you're, because of the style of food, you can say it's not full of cholesterol or sodium or whatever else, else it is. But I had a big bowl of lobster bisque, and it was probably pretty unhealthy for me. But we were sitting there talking. And we, we observed one of these incidents. It was one of the worst incidents of the three that I saw this week. And I just thought every Christian, if you saw that, if, if you've been in a church for one or two or three or four years, I hope you've moved past that. I hope you've moved past a, a right to be angry. I hope you've moved past the fact that you're concerned about what the church can do for you. And I know it's not the case because I'm a pastor and a shepherd and I want to be there for your needs. Hey, when, when you're sick and, and you need somebody to visit you, we want to be there for you. But Jesus talked about, right, have you ever heard Jesus say, like, the church should look more like a hospital. We've heard people preach that where Jesus said he came to, to seek and save those which were lost, not, to, not called to the righteous. But can you imagine if a room full of people walked in every week and said, we've got to get ready. There might be a sinner that shows up today. If there's somebody that shows up and I've never seen them here before, I'm going to assume they're looking for help. And I want to make sure that we are geared, that we are equipped to help them in any way that we can. 
I'll tell you what, if you do that, and I decided, I made that decision a long time ago, you won't be worried about the lighting, you won't be worried about the volume of the music, you won't be worried about the color of the carpet, because your eyes will be fixed on, ultimately, Jesus, because he said, when you do it for the least of these, you do it for me. You'll be so hyper-focused on trying to help that person find Jesus that everything else will be somewhat diminished in, in your perspective. Let me share a poem with you this morning that describes Jesus' view of sinners and, remind us as, and reminds us of the state from which we are saved. As you listen to this poem, consider the person of Jesus and perhaps far, how far off we are from being someone that mirrors his character as we should. It says, but Jesus loved people like me, took notice of a blind man and made him see, saw a locked up kid and set him free, told little, little Zacchaeus to get out of that tree, felt it when a desperate woman touched, touched his cloak, Kneeled beside a dead girl, and up she woke. Hung out with the down and the out and the broke. Offered hope to the forgotten with just the words he spoke. Touched a man with leprosy, who others would mock. Touched the mouths of the mute, and once they could talk. Forgave a woman at a well, who was the laughingstock. Came to lowly shepherds who smelled like their flock. In the company of sinners is where he would eat. Defended an adulterer, made her accusers retreat. Made followers out of men who were crooked cheats and let the tears of a prostitute anoint his feet. Our struggle this morning, friends, is not that Jesus is so high that we cannot reach him, but rather we are unwilling to stoop down to the places where Jesus lives with the broken of this world. Jesus is a friend of sinners. Church, I sometimes tremble at the thought that I might be keeping others from seeing Jesus. The team is going to come now, and, and they're going to sing a song called, called Jesus, Friend of Sinners. And maybe you've heard it over, on the radio over the years. Some, I've often thought sometimes the song might be easier or more difficult for, a, for a, a group of people to sing along with. And so you don't have to feel obligated to sing along. But the words of this song are very powerful when we consider what our ministry to sinners looks like. There's a line in this song that says, Jesus, the world is on their way to you but they're tripping over me. Then it goes on to say, nobody knows what we're for, only what we're against when we judge the wounded. Every person that you know is lost in sin is dealing with a, a woundedness. Let the memory of your mercy, Jesus, bring your people to their knees. Church, have we become a stumbling block? Have we judged someone not knowing what they were going through? What if we would remember the mercy that Jesus has shown us and freely distribute that to others. I am going to ask you to stand this morning, and I'm going to give you an opportunity to, to make a couple decisions, if that's okay. Go ahead and stand for me. Everybody always waits for that first person, so I just kind of urge you on. we got to get moving here. Someone might say today, Jonathan, I don't know Jesus. I don't know that I particularly like you referring to me as a sinner. Well, let me tell you this this morning. I don't want you to be a sinner. I'm not mad at you because you're a sinner. I'm not judging you because you're a sinner. The most famous Bible verse that we quote from the time that we're a child is John 3:16 that says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that anyone could believe in him. And then you wouldn't perish. That when you pass from this life to the next that you'll be in the arms of Jesus. I really wish that 
we should start in children's church in Sunday school, we might as well just teach them now that, the verse that follows, right? Because John 3.17 goes on to say, he didn't come to the world to condemn the world. Depending on what translation you read, judge the world. And so if you're a sinner today, we're not here today to standing to condemn you or to judge you. But because Jesus wants to save you from all that hopelessness that you know that you're going through, if you'd be honest with yourself this morning. With all that continual, you know, chasing after whatever it is that you're chasing. So if you just bow your heads with me, close your eyes this morning. This isn't something I do very frequently. But I want to make sure I give a chance. If there's somebody here today that says, I don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ this morning. But I'd be bold enough to just raise my hand and acknowledge that. Would you raise your hand this morning? I do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ this morning. All right. Every, bow, every head bowed, every eye still closed. How about this one? Pastor Jonathan, I'm going to be a friend of sinners, not a judge of sinners, not a condemner of sinners, not somebody that sees sinners in a little box that needs to be fixed, but I'm going to love on them. And I'm going to do everything I can, regardless of the flavor of their sin or how vulgar I think it is. I'm going to find a way to be around sinners. And I'm going to be their friend. I, yeah, people are raising their hands all over the place. You don't have to wait for me. Raise them. Put them down. You're testifying to God, not to me. I'm not keeping track this morning. I want to be a friend of sinners because that's who he's called us to be. That's who he was. It's what he exemplified for us. I'll tell you what. I... You all do this too. There's songs on the radio and you sing along with them. Sometimes you don't know what they say. A lot of times when the, the crew up here does a song, I'll read through the lyrics just so I, I make sure I, I know exactly what we're saying. I've probably sang this song a thousand times while I played it on the radio and never realized it said plank-filled eye. That we are sinners, that we are Christians with plank-filled eyes that we, and keep judging other people. You all know the context if you know the scriptures be a great time this morning. Here's what you can come and pray about. Not that I need to give you ideas, but if you haven't accepted Jesus as your savior, you come and pray. Somebody will pray with you. They'll ask you why you're praying and you can tell them you want to find Jesus and accept him as your Lord and savior this morning. Say, I need, Jesus, I need help being a friend of sinners. I'm judgmental. I struggle with certain sins that people commit and I'm not sure that I can accept it. Help me to get through that, Jesus, because you did. You died for those people, just like you died for me. Strengthen my, my Christian witness, my faith. Jesus, friend of sinners, break my heart for what breaks yours. Father, we pray this morning that we have properly... I don't know, God, I guess just... I hope I've painted a picture of you this morning that's real. God, I want, to be more, I want to be more like your son. And you give us these examples, but it's hard. And we, we have all these stereotypes and all these things in our tradition that get in the way, and you just didn't seem to care. You just ran around loving people, no matter how bad they hurt you. If they were after you, if they seemed like they were trying to tear down your ministry, you just kept on loving them. God, help us to love people. Break our heart for what breaks yours this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.
down people in your name Where the sword was never ours to swing Jesus, friend of sinners The truth's become so hard to see The world is on their way But they're tripping over me Always looking around, never looking up I'm so double-minded A plain card saint with dirty hands And a heart divided Oh, Jesus, a friend of sinners Open our eyes to the world At the end of our pointing fingers And let our hearts be Led by mercy Help us reach with open hearts And open doors Oh, Jesus, friend of sinners Break our hearts for what breaks you You 
incredibly heavy thought with you this morning that God shared with me. I feel compelled to, lead, to share it with you. You can do what you want with it. I just pray. Holy Spirit brought the phrase to my mind, why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you tell me what? It's going to be the question that every voice in hell asks one day. Why didn't you tell me about Jesus? Remember the story of the rich man and Lazarus? Rich man knew Lazarus had tried to communicate with him. He knew who the Christian was. He knew his time was past and just wanted Lazarus to go forward. But how horrible would be that my name would be spoken hell one day by someone who's burning there that said, why didn't Jonathan ever tell me? It was hard, church. It, it kind of wore me out this week to say, God, who do I need to tell? Who knows me but doesn't know the name of Jesus? Just... Talk to him about Jesus. The Holy Spirit will sort it out. You don't worry about being too pushy. I'd rather get to the end of life and find out that maybe I had talked to him a little too much about Jesus than not enough. I believe that's right in my spirit. I really believe that. About, about a decade ago, I got the privilege to lead my best friend to Christ. We had been spending years together hanging out. And he called me one night and said, I'm ready. And I said, you're ready for what? He was living out of state. He said, I'm ready to give my life to Jesus. I said, awesome. I could, talk, could you get a better phone call? I said, okay. And he said, do you know why I called you? He said, because you were never pushy. You just lived out your Christianity in front of me. You were real. You were authentic. He goes, you weren't like Grandpa Store, who invited me to church every week. He said, you weren't like Billy Warner who asked me the first time I met him when I was 16 if I was going to go to hell or not. And now some of you, you can see, that you're going to say, Jonathan, why were you such a party pooper? But I corrected him in that moment. And I said, yeah, but you remember every single time Grandpa invited you to church. And you remember the name of a man who asked you when you were 16 years old if you died today, if you were going to go to hell. Every single voice matters in the life of a, of a lost person. Do your part. Wherever God's giving you opportunity, share the gospel. We're going to talk about sharing the gospel here in just a minute. A little bit more, we're going to say goodbye to our friends online. Please join us. Some great things are happening here at our Rathmel Road campus, and we want you to be here with, with us. There's going to be things that you can experience online, and we want you here with us. So, so go and have a, a great week. We'll let the rest of you be seated. I'm going to invite Judy Kroom to come up. We're going to take